Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Onward with William McCarthy, live from Brooklyn, New York. How we doing, everybody? This is my Once Upon a November podcast, and I'm back. I'm back, baby. I'm back from Mexico. I went down there to play a show, absolutely smashed it, had a wonderful time. I traveled with Alex Halverson, a guitar tech from Augustine's, and there was a very wonderful gentleman by the name of Jaime Tovar who took care of us. On night one, we went to Coyacan, a neighborhood of Mexico City, and we went to a place called La Coyacana, and there was mariachis. There was, I don't know, four bottles of mezcal that made it to the, t- to the table, uh, a little wobbly. Ended up talking with the owner about the place, about being a Lebanese Mexican and what that was like. Um, a huge life dream for me to play Mexico, and we did it in superb fashion. We were downtown. Not far from where the Aztec ruler Montezuma was was killed by a flying rock when his people turned on him because he was aiding and abetting the Spaniards and the conquistadors of Cortes. Uh, I find Mexico City to be an absolutely like beautiful sensual uh, sensual experience for your senses. It's modern. It's worn. It's fresh. It's deeply impressive. There's passion in the streets emanating from windowsills, coming out of alleyways, coming from restaurants. There's mariachis, there's brick, there's streets, there was rain, there was colors, there was the Day of the Dead celebration, faces painted like skeletons. While I was in Mexico, I had mole, I had uh, mocajete, which is like comes in a giant kind of stone bowl, and this is just, it's it's like a cornucopia of chorizo, steak, onions, floating in a broth. It was beautiful. I ate gusanos. I ate worms. I ate grasshoppers. I ate ant eggs. I lived it. And I want to say a special thank you to Jaime for all of that. Now, on the downside, I flew Spirit Airlines home, which is always a little interesting. But in the front of the plane, I don't know what it is. Is it me? Am I making a mistake on where I'm sitting? Because I'm always sitting next to babies. I love babies. Babies are beautiful. Babies are cute. But God damn, I was near four of them on the way home crying and the mom's like trying to help them. And I think at some point, their poor little ears are going through the pressure and it's just making them pop and they just freak out. That was, it's been some very difficult uh, times. <laughs> babies and me on airplanes. I don't know. It's like a damn baby whisperer, baby magnet. Um, anyways, so yesterday I unveiled my new website and... You feel free to go to williammccarthy.org. It is locked because of my patrons on Patreon. Um, I've given them an exclusive peek at the video and my single and my album artwork. So um, if you go to the video section, you can't watch the video. That's why. It's for my peoples. Anyways, um, amazing experience. Building a website ain't no joke, nor is getting photography, and nor is directing videos, nor is filming videos. And I filmed and directed and was my own graphic designer and learning how all these programs and how to do this. I've been doing this for 11 months. And as we saw with the Rise film, it is hard to be independent. It goes a lot slower when you're not you know, partnering with companies. And it goes how it goes, and it's going that way for me. So I appreciate yesterday uh, you guys stopping in and giving that a little moment of your time. It means a lot to me. 
Um, what else? Um, I think let's take a short break and let's come back and discuss Vietnam. Act two, Ho Chi Minh City, the trail to Vietnam. So here I am guys, I'm gearing up and later, I think in three weeks, I am going on tour in Southeast Asia. Now, I have been there before. I was there three years ago. I was in Nepal, Cambodia, Vietnam, and Thailand. I didn't get to go to Laos. Or maybe I can this time. I, I was there. I found out that the band was, my band, Augustine's, was breaking up. I was very sad. I went and wandered the countryside for a month. I was there. And I was very sad, so when I look back at it, I, I, I feel heartbreak, and I don't remember me celebrating all that I could have. So hopefully with tour in the next few weeks, I will be able to celebrate the place. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be accompanied by my sister Beverly and her partner Donald. They're going to come on tour with me. I'm playing with Evan Dando, from, and actually I think I'm playing with the Lemonheads. Um, and I'm going to be in Ho starting in Ho Chi Minh City and going all the way to the to the sea. I'm excited about this, and for many reasons. Um, I've become close with a friend of mine, Dave. His father, Tony, as I've written about in my writings on my Onward page, I've written a lot about the Vietnam War, Vietnam conflict, and what a draft uh, might have felt like. I wasn't there, but talking to someone who actually was there, what it was like to be 18, 17, 18, 19 years old, it'd be like you had to go register, you had to go to war, you had to come home. And it's funny, as I'm telling you this, I was in an airport yesterday, and a gentleman with a southern accent came up to me. I was in, uh, I was in Florida. Sorry, it was the day before yesterday. And he came up to me, pointed at my guitar case, he goes, what kind of guitar is that? And I, I smiled and pointed at him. He was standing with a walker, but it was kind of like a, you know, it was painted red and it was like for disabled people. And I said, what kind of Ferrari is that? And he said, this is a Vietnam special. And I thought that was amazing. We, we had a chuckle. We laughed about that. And I was just thinking like, wow, man. Um, when something, when you go to war and you come home, like it's very common in America to see people with veteran stickers on their car, on their truck, veteran patches on their vest or on their Harley Davidson, seeing a POW veteran flags flying from bars, from people's houses. And it's so interesting to me how in veteran culture and the United States, like how that you go to war being a kid from a small town or the inner city and you come back with this different identity literally overnight um, and it doesn't come for no reason from what uh, my friend Dave his father Tony has told me you know it's a transformative experience and I'll be exploring all of this um, in my writings and my podcast when I go to Vietnam and tour there because I find this place not only just the American experience there and communism and the Chinese and um, but I also think the French and the French being driven out of Vietnam is very fascinating. The Viet Cong are fascinating. Um, Ho Chi Minh is fascinating. So we'll get to all of that when I get to Vietnam. Okay, we're going to take a short break. And I'd like to come back in Act 3. I Somebody requested that I do a reading of one of my stories this week. And I think this is a great idea. Why not? Let's do it. 
Um, let me choose a story and we will be right back. You are listening to Onward with William McCarthy, live from New York City. Okay, we are back. You've been listening to Onward with William McCarthy, live from New York City. I'm going to do a reading now for you. I wrote this in Mexico last week, and uh, it I think it kind of encapsulates a bit of my reflection upon leaving Mexico, Mexico, and I called it El Camino, No Risk It, No Biscuit. 7.38 a.m., Mexico City Airport, October 28, 2020. Groggy. A seamless taxi ride and load-in. Definitely foggy. Certainly groggy. Yesterday I heard somebody in Mexico say, No risk it, no biscuit. With my dream of playing Mexico fully realized, I slumped into my plastic airport seat, satisfied, waiting for my flight. Last night was a sheer display of defiance. Apparently the day of the dead celebration of the deceased, Dia de los Muertos, in Mexico, is not only expressed by every man, woman, and child painted as skeletons, but also in immensely fucking loud fireworks all night long. Like, probably still going off. Good lord. You know, people are partying when they're still lighting booming, combustible, earth-shaking M80 bombs while you're leaving for the airport at 6 a.m. Viva Mexico. The only place I've ever seen go this hard with fireworks is either Chinatown in San Francisco or New Year's Eve when I lived in Amsterdam a few years back. It was a long night with an early wake-up call, 4.30, and our best effort for a peaceful rest resembled the actual detonation of bombs all night long. No bullshit. Day of the Dead sounded like a real-time firefight in Fallujah, with a haggard muskets of Little Bighorn. But I see a theme here. As I said in my last story and podcast, when we travel we are constantly connecting themes, be it lyrical clues, architectural, rhythms, languages, cuisine. And this, to me, is the sweetness of life. This summer, I saw the Spanish Presidio military fort in Cartagena, Colombia. I then saw remnants of slave trade in the Caribbean and New Orleans. I rode my motorcycle from West Coast to New York City. I rode it through Memphis and felt the echoes of the civil rights struggle, through fields laced with the blood of boys in the Civil War throughout the American South. Then the Spanish crown and its conquest of the New World, an often complex relationship with the Church throughout the missions of California. And here, in Mexico, I didn't see the sight of Native American tribes that once dotted the coastline. I saw mighty, mighty pyramids and ruins of Aztec empires and the great, great ruler Montezuma and his murder and betrayal by Cortes and his men. Now I admit, the Ming Dynasty and the Tang Dynasty in China are hard to keep straight, as are the pharaohs of Egypt. But here, as I begin to sketch out my story today, the image triggering and connecting in my brain is hanging just above my head. A small, simple sign. Amongst the wafting airport fragrance assault of Cartier, Dior, and Prada, a sign that simply says, Kenneth Cole, New York. As my eyes narrowed, palpable memories filled my head like a rowboat filling with water. Kenneth fucking Cole. I whispered under my breath, slowly shaking my head. In some triggered Pavlovian response, I looked down at the floor, twitching, for I, William McCarthy, was once a necktie salesman at Kenneth Cole. 
Let us go back, way back to 2001, a land far away, chock full of surprises. Well, looking back, that whole internet thing did all right. It seems to be all the rage still. <laughs> Camper shoes were trendy back then, as were trucker hats and diesel jeans. And if I'm not mistaken, Radiohead's Kid A was a success, and the follow-up to the foreboding apocalypse memories, melodies of OK Computer, and bam! There we all were in a post-Clinton, yeehaw, good times America. I was living comfortably in the Pacific Northwest. The weird side effect of doing well in a new town is that you think you could pull that off anywhere you go. I had been having a good run living in Seattle. No luck in music whatsoever, yet once again, but it wasn't not for trying. I had a weekday job caretaking for disabled adults and a weekend job as a doorman at a club, and I liked it. Life was being kind. I went to the movies a lot. I liked the lush weather, the public parks. I loved hanging around scores of cheap thrift shops. With a confidence stride and wind in my sails, I took the $900 out of my bank account, and I drove east, in three days flat, across America, each day driving approximately 18 hours, 6 a.m. to midnight, incessantly listening to cassette tapes in a coffee-fueled daze. Why did I do this? Why? Because my music was yet again not happening. Same result, different city. Same effort, same disappointment. And all I cared about in the world was my music. Even if I was no good. Even as I'm never going to be good. All I wanted to learn about was the artists that came before me. And all I wanted was to be something. To get something going. And it just kept evading me. I was more than happy and more than willing to go down with the ship if need be. And if I had to die trying, then so be it. So New York City hold my bones, because I will break my back and tear my hands and make my dream finally come to life. When you have that conviction inside you, and you've got a wild flicker to your eyes and a knack for getting through by the skin of your teeth, then what's so bad about a me megalopolis of 19 million with temperatures that frequently fall below zero, the most expensive real estate in America, known for its savage, overtly capitalist attitudes, and just to keep it interesting, also in the throes of gentrification? A city built on the grit and determination of immigrants, backbreaking labor, all in the presence and full view of blatant first world pinnacle wealth, literally washing the dishes of Wall Street, and Donald J. Trump himself hovering above in a helicopter like Dr. Fucking Evil. New York City. NYC sight unseen, knowing absolutely no one with no money, no jog prospects, winter approaching, and no family to help. If should you get stuck, and you definitely will, it will be an absolute killer. And I 100% lived that that first winter with no safety net. Nicks, scratches, bruises, gashes, sparse Christmases, New York City lashes. With that all said, it's perspective. Last week I was researching Cameroonian refugees that scrounged up enough money to get to Ecuador and literally walk through Central American jungles to the U.S. southern border, then wade across the Rio Grande River, only to be captured by Border Patrol and tried in mass trials of American criminal courts. So I think the sobering Western reality is key here, but I wouldn't wish that first year I had on New York City upon anybody. I suffered my own sink or swim way, and most of it was due to 9-11. Cartier, Dior, Gucci, Prada. I stared up at the signs. Below the signs and huddled near me was entire Mexican families. They were traveling to places like Tijuana, 
Veracruz, Puebla. Sleepy children nestled in their mother's armpit, and abuelos, grandfathers, in cowboy hats, squinted, their eyes gazing across the airport expanse just like me. I looked up at that sign, and I couldn't help it. Began transporting me. I imagined myself having arrived in New York City with nothing in 2001, having found a burgundy futon off the street to sleep on, carrying it onto a train in Manhattan, down many streets, up hills, then to my sixth-floor walk-up, up the stairs, into my studio apartment, adorned with solely one sheet. The humidity was immense, especially if you never felt humidity before. Just as I began to get settled and look for work, two airplanes hit the Trade Center. The world trade was on fire. The city went black, and we all choked on its smoke for the next 20 years. When there was a break in the clouds, I stood in my 99-cent store cobalt blue tucked-in shirt and got the end train one hour every day into the city, Macy's in Herald Square, Manhattan. It was the only work I could find as a tie salesman selling Kenneth Cole neckties in the same over-ironed pair of pants day after day to work dreading something would get them dirty because they were all I had and I'd be found out, a fraud that never worked in retail before like I had lied on my resume. Kenneth Cole. I look back down at the ground of Mexico City Airport. How did I get here, to this exact spot where I'm standing? And past my privilege as a white male in Wilshire society and my struggle to get my dream, has it all worked out? Does where I stand agree with the younger me carrying that futon up the stairs for his dream? Did I risk enough? Will I, ever fear will I ever feel security? Or is this impossibility all just embedded in me? And that's all I know now. I only know one way, and that is to jump and hopefully land as close as you can to the direction that you're fighting to get to and paddle and paddle and paddle and paddle hard towards the shore for as long as your arms will hold out. And who, in hell, who the hell is this Kenneth Cole anyways? A little presumptuous, eh, Kenny? Just plaster your name on airport walls, pal. Go right ahead. Also, Kenneth, I will go ahead and tell you I never use my employee discount. I stole a few ties, and I don't feel bad. I was the retail Robin Hood, and I stole from you, Dark Emperor Kenneth. I liberated ties and gave them safe passage to the righteous daylight of freedom. What a dickhead. I looked around at the sleepy family standing in line. It occurred to me that many of these people have relatives that have braved the passage to get to the States for work to send money back home to Mexico. I was told yesterday a full-time school teacher makes around $800 a month here. The laborers that cross are vulnerable and have no health insurance, and they work labor jobs for low pay. They are insulted on American television screens by our obese, blonde president. But he can keep talking because they're never going to stop. They'll never stop fighting for a better life. They will never stop crossing. And I understand that. I have asked my Mexican friends in Brooklyn, and they have described the desert and two jugs of water they carry as they walk through the night to cross, risking everything and complaining to no one. No risk it, no biscuit. You've been listening to Onward with William McCarthy, live from New York City. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. <laughs>